Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, so it's it's a big reading today I've been tasked with, um, but that's awesome. Um, so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, um, and then we're going to skip on to Hebrews. Um, so here we go. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now we're skipping on to Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still hands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we have believed, enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. I'm just gonna pray now for um, Steve and before he speaks. 
Uh, dear Lord Jesus, thank you um, for your word and that we can learn so much from it every time we open it. And I pray for um, Steve today as he speaks that um, you would guide his words and that our hearts would be prepared to listen and, and learn. Um, in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Lena. Well done on a long reading. Uh, so nice to be here. I'm just trying to sort out my Zoom controls and I'm fighting with my computer. There we go. Um, so over Christmas, um, I read this very helpful book that I recommend called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. How to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually alive in the chaos of the modern world. In it, the author John Mark Comer tells his story of burnout in an attempt to be a successful church pastor. Right at the start of the book, he puts it like this. It hit me like a freight train. In America, you can become successful as a pastor and a failure as an apprentice of Jesus. You can gain the church, yet lose your soul. And he humbly shares his own story of learning to slow down. He goes on to outline how big a problem hurry is in our modern culture. And he lists from personal experience the symptoms of what he calls is an epidemic. He talks about how we have the wrong metrics of success. He talks about how hurry is incompatible with uh, love, joy, peace, patience. He talks about hurry being incompatible with deep relationships and meaningful relationships, whether with God or, or with other people. He talks about hurry being the great enemy of spiritual life. He talks about how we're losing the ability to concentrate and reflect because we're constantly distracted and connected through mobile phones and social media and the internet. He even gives a brief history of speed and talks about how the impact of Steve Jobs' iPhone in 2007 changed our worlds. He talks about how we're often now more irritable, hypersensitive and restless. He talks about how we're workaholics, we never stop. We're emotionally numb often and we've got our priorities out of order. He talks about how we're often unable to create healthy boundaries with our work so that we can actually switch off and rest. He talks about how in all our busyness, there's a desperate loneliness. He talks about how we have lost the art of the ancient spiritual disciplines like contemplation, silence, solitude, and our topic for the month of March, Sabbath. It is helpful and it is terrifying to read the first three chapters of his book as he dissects modern culture. So there's a problem in our world, a problem of hurry, a problem of restlessness. So how do we deal with this problem? How do we diagnose it? Well, we go back to Genesis chapter one and we look at how initially God made us to rest. So today I want to look at four things. God's rest from Genesis 1 and 2. I then want to look at our restlessness from Genesis 3 and 4. I want to look at the rest giver from Hebrews 4. And then I want to think practically about rhythms of rest for our lives. So let's get going. God's rest. Genesis chapter 1, and Lena read the final bit of it, is all about God's work. And we discover there's a rhythm and a rhyme to God's work. There's order and beauty inherent to it. So work is not a necessary evil that came after the fall. It is a great good that came before the fall. And the great God himself engaged with work. And what is the pinnacle of God's work? Well, it's making men and women like you and me, believe it or not, in his image. 
And one of the key ways we image our great God who is a worker is to work. So God gives us the world and says, go and work in it. Enjoying work, working itself. It, you know, work is in our DNA. We need work. It's, it's how we flourish. Work is a gift from God and all work has dignity. That's Genesis 1. We learn about how our God worked and how we were made to image God doing good work ourselves that meant we would flourish. But the creation account doesn't actually end in Genesis chapter 1. It ends in Genesis chapter 2, where we learn that after God worked, God rested on the seventh day. And so we said by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Does that mean God got tired? (laughs) God's like, I need a break. It's a hot day out there and I've been working all day. You know, I need a water. Uh, The work had taken it out of him. I'm in recovery mode now before I can get on to the second day and the third. No, No, that's not what it meant. What does Isaiah say? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. God doesn't get tired. That's not why he rests. So what, why does he rest and what does it mean for him to rest? Did you see Genesis 2 really carefully? By the seventh day, God had what? Finished the work. So for God to rest is for God to be finished. And think about the refrain. We only heard it once from Lena on the sixth day, but you hear it on every day. At the end of every day, it says uh, God looked at his work and he blessed it. He looked at it and he blessed it. And there was evening and there was morning the first day and there was evening and morning the second day. God looked at his work and he blessed it. So at every part of the, every stage of his work, he sort of sits back and admires it and because it, it's finished. The day's work is finished and he can bless it and say it was good. So for God to rest is not for God to be tired. It is for God to be satisfied. The work is finished and the work is good. Now, don't you know that feeling? You've been working on something and and you've been working really hard and then it's finished and you kind of have that deep seated rest of finished work that is satisfying. I get it every time I prepare one of these talks and I finish preparing it. I'm like, ah, I finished. I get it every time in the HubSpot I work in sales and I close a customer, a new customer for HubSpot. And it's sort of the, the, the sales cycle is finished and I can be grateful. I get it every time I go for a 5K run down to the sea and do my sea swimming and come back. I rest at the end of it and go, that was so satisfying and I'm glad it's finished. Not because it, I enjoyed the work, but there's a finishing of it that is satisfying. Here's what's really interesting. When you read Genesis 2 carefully in light of Genesis chapter 1, what thing is really missing? At the end of the seventh day, it does not say, and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. Every other day had that. There was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day, there was evening and the morning and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. But it doesn't say it on the seventh day. In other words, the seventh day was never supposed to end. This is the lesson. Humanity was meant to live forever in the seventh day of God's satisfaction. We were met, that was our design. We were made to live in a world where we enjoyed what God had enjoyed and he gave it to us as a gift. What's the first thing humanity does 
on, you know, forget the uh, like 24 literal hours and all that stuff about it. Look, just take the story as a story. On the sixth day we're created, what happens on the seventh day? We rest. It's like we were created to yes, work, but before we get to the work, we have to have the seventh day, which is a day of rest. The pattern of creation is that the first thing we do is rest. So here's one of the key takeaways from today in this whole series. We are to work from a position of rest not work until we need rest. Today in our culture and in my own life, we often have it the wrong way around. We work and work and work and work until we're on the edge of exhaustion or we're about to get sick and maybe we do get sick and that forces us to rest. And when we rest, it's just crashing and recovering because I'm so tired. It's not a holy day. That's not a holy day, just a crashing because you're exhausted. That's not the Sabbath as God wants. He says, I want you to work from a position of rest so that your work will be the most effective work it can be, the most fruitful work it can be, the most enjoyable work it can be, because you'll give your full attention to it because you are well rested when you work. But as John Mark Comer so helpfully points out, we've lost that working from a position of rest. We now work to find our rest. When did we lose the seventh day? Let's talk about our restlessness. Genesis 3 and 4. In Genesis 3, we turn from God as our rest giver and try to find rest ourselves outside of him. We try to prove ourselves. We wanted control and autonomy over our lives. So we threw off God's loving rule and decided to rule ourselves in a bid to find rest. We wanted things on our term. We doubted that God really was on our side with our best interests at heart. So we took control. We crossed boundaries we never should have done. And we turned from him. And Genesis 3, therefore, in, in light of this, is a tragic story of how we lost our satisfaction in God. We lost our rest. And the seventh day came to an end. And so we read in Genesis chapter 4 about Cain. And it says he was a restless wanderer on the earth. Part of our fallen condition is we sense a restlessness in our hearts. We don't enjoy the seventh day satisfaction. We're desperate to find it, but we find it in all the wrong places as we grab control trying to do it ourselves. In turning from God, instead of finding rest, we forfeited it. Instead of freeing ourselves, we enslaved ourselves. And John Mark Comer, in his book, does a great job at showing the symptoms in our culture of the slavery that we are in. Maybe let me put some of those symptoms of our slavery, of trying to find rest outside of God, into Genesis 3 categories. In Genesis 3, we see that um, we lost our spiritual rest. Before we'd been confident before God, but now we hide behind trees and fig leaves. We cover our nakedness. We don't want to be known. We don't want to be vulnerable. We have this relentless feeling that we need to self-justify the whole time to ourselves, to others. We get defensive so quickly, a bit of criticism, boom, spike. We all come out, don't we? Self-justification is now the default mode of the human heart, and it's exhausting. Spiritual rest has gone. With it went relational rest. Instead of being confident with others, we became insecure. And everyone else became a competitor. We wanted to beat them. Do I rank higher than them? Do I rank lower than them? So Adam and Eve passed the buck between each other. And Cain, in chapter 4, kills his brother Abel. 
relational rest is gone. With it goes psychological rest. We used to be confident in ourselves, but we've now become radically insecure. We're so desperate to prove ourselves with our accolades and our achievements, but we're just hiding behind fig leaves. And beneath the external veneer of our achievements lies deep insecurity. And with that psychological rest also goes mental health, emotional rest, all kinds of other restlessnesses come in. And there's also, and we don't want to miss, just make it personal, there's creation's rest is destroyed. Instead of confidently stewing, stewarding the planet God gave us, we destroy it through selfish overproduction. In a desperate desire to ensure our security, we become greedy and selfish. And so we have potentially made our planet unsustainable place for future generations to live, as David Attenborough has well demonstrated recently. Creation's rest is gone because our rest has gone. Do you see the problem? The problem is not that we can't take a day off a week. That's a symptom. The problem is that we're Cain. We are restless wanderers on the earth, desperately searching and never finding. And that restlessness manifests itself spiritually, relationally, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, and within the world, of the, in the creation itself. But there's good news. The story of the Bible didn't finish there. Enter the rest giver. Hallelujah. Jesus comes into this exhausted, restless and relentless world. He sees us like sheep without a shepherd and he calls us home, back into his loving arms. He models a different way of life that isn't dictated by restlessness, anxiety, hurry, striving, proving, posturing, competition, envy, hiding, and relentless self-justification. None of that marks Jesus's life. It's as if he's living within the seventh day of God's rest while we're all restless wanderers on the earth and he's calling us out into another kingdom, his kingdom. He's showing us there's a different way to live. And he says, if you're weary and burdened, as Louisa read at the start of the service, uh, he can give us rest. He says, take his yoke. We can take his yoke, his burden on ourselves, but it's not a heavy burden. It's a gentle and, 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 and a light one. And he reassures us. He says, let me take you back to God and that seventh day. How would Jesus take us back? Well, once again, God would work. Not this time in creation, but God would work in redemption. And how did the day of redemption end? Do you remember? It is finished. Once again, God would pronounce that the work is finished. How does the book of Hebrews depict this? It says Jesus as a high priest sits down. He says, there's no more work to be done. I've done everything that needed to be done to atone for sin, to deal with that restlessness in the heart. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're cherished. Uh, Self-justification. I've justified you through faith. I did the work and I sit down and you again receive my work and enjoy it as a gift. It's the same. 
as it was in creation. The work is done. It's finished once for all. The work of self-justification is now over. We've been acquitted. We've been set free. We've been forgiven. We've been accepted. We've been adopted as God's children by faith through the sheer costly grace of God shown on a cross as he worked through the person of his son. Our relationship with God can be restored. We no longer have to hide our sins from his presence. We can be vulnerable and naked again and allow God to clothe us, not with fickle accolades and achievements, fig leaves that we put up to cover our nakedness, but a cloak of righteousness that shines brightly, lasts forever, and means we're beautiful to God. Did you see how Hebrews chapter 4 put it? The writer provides a remarkable analogy between the gospel of free grace, it's all a gift, and Sabbath. Reflecting on the rest of God in creation and the rest that was promised to the Israelites in the promised land after their weary wilderness experience, the writer says this, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters whose rest? The seventh day, God's rest. Also rests from what? His work of self-justification. Just as God rested from his. When we find salvation through Christ alone, we rest from the most debilitating work of all, the work of earning our own salvation. Tim Keller puts it like this. The Sabbath then represents the antidote for the deep spiritual work of our souls that incites unrequited weariness. Vacations won't cure spiritual weariness. If you don't have the REM of the soul, deep rest from your good works, all other work will be crushing. You won't be able to relax. Even when you're supposed to be resting, you won't ever be able to walk away from your nets, even for an evening. Without the deep rest of Christ's finished work, you simply can't ever rest. It's the gospel of free grace. That's how we enter back in. And one day, brothers and sisters, for those that trust in Jesus, we will enter our promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. The weary wilderness will be over and we will rest fully and finally complete and confident in every way. We will walk with God in the cool of the day as Adam and Eve had once done. We experience and taste a bit of it now through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so we can learn, like Jesus said, to live an alternative way as our world is relentless and exhausted and hurrying, we can choose another way. We're no longer lost, we're found, and we know where our final resting place will be. And so we can choose to enjoy God and enjoying him find rest for our souls. So let me finish by thinking practically, once the rest is there in our hearts through justification by faith, not through our works, we can establish healthy rhythms of rest in our life. It starts in the heart, never bypass it, but it will work out into your life. So what are some helpful rhythms? 
Well, every week in these four-week series on the Sabbath, I want to give some practical applications once you've got into the heart of what it looks like to live this out. The first thing, I said it at the start, but it's so important, the pattern of scriptures that we work from a position of rest, not work until we need to rest. So how do we do that? Well, one thing I want to encourage you all to do is to plan your rest. Even if your rest is very you know, spontaneous and sort of unplanned when you get there, but you're planning to put rest aside. When you go through the life of Israel, and we're going to see this through the series, you see their whole life was divided up by sevens, the seventh day and the, the seventh year and the seven times sevens year. And then there were these festivals and they had rhythm and rest weaved into the seasons and the weeks and the years and the months and the decades and all the rest. So we need to weave and we need to plan rest into our lives. So it's not just a day off or a vacation. It's a rhythm of rest that comes from a resting heart. We have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our hearts through the gospel so we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our days through planned rest. It's famously been said that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So plan your rest, even if you leave much of it to be spontaneous. Secondly, Thirdly, sorry, we're going to look at this more next week, but I mention it. We, we, we should be creating margin in our lives, something I'm always not good at, so that we do have space when things get squeezed. And we're going to come back to that and think about the, the gleaning practices and how the Israelites were to leave land untethered as part of their sort of Sabbath principles. So we need to create margin, not be fully maxed all the time. But here's kind of what I want us to think a little bit on today. We need to understand the multifaceted dimensions of rest in our planning. So I hope I've shown you today the multifaceted nature of our restlessness. It's physical, it's emotional, it's mental, it's relational, it's spiritual, it's psychological. Well, if that is the case in terms of the problem, we then have to think about how to plan patterns of rest to cater for the multifaceted nature of who we are as people. You need to be realistic about your personality. And your life stage. Are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Do you have children or not? Are you an indoor person or an outdoor person? And so on and so forth. There's not one size that fits all. We have to understand the multi-dimensions of rest for us. Some tips for you to think through. We must make time for unplanned activity. Just some unstructured, unplanned time where we just spontaneously engage in something. So if your planning time off is full of busyness... That's not really Sabbath. It's got to have some like, hey, we just got time off and we'll see what happens when we get there. Rest time. Secondly, contemplative rest. We're going to come back to this, but if the problem is really in the heart, we need to relearn the contemplative rhythms of meditation, of personal worship, of prayer in our Sabbath so that we can experience that inner rest of the heart as we rest in Jesus and his finished work and our identity in him the reason life is exhausting is not because of our circumstances but because of our hearts as we react to the circumstances we need to contemplate and be in the presence of god thirdly aesthetic rest think about the creation story we need to expose ourselves to the works of god's creation that refresh us and energize us that we find 
beautiful. Is there anything so restful as when you're, you, you're gazing at something beautiful and it, it melts your heart? This may be out of nature, in the sea, in the mountains, going for a walk, in the nice woods, or it may be enjoying the beauty of music, art, drama. You're not trying to gain anything. You're not trying to be productive. You're trying to enjoy. And it softens you, softens me. Fourthly, recreational, a uh, avocational activity time. An avocation, this is Tim Keller, is something that is sheer pleasure to you. Sheer pleasure to you, but that takes some exertion and time. And usually other people do it for a living. When planning avocational time, consider whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Introverts are people who tend to spend energy when out with people and recharge their batteries being alone. Extroverts are people who tend to spend their energy in personal work and recharge their batteries by getting out with people. Don't try and imitate an introvert Sabbath rhythms if you're an extrovert and vice versa. What do you enjoy just for the sheer pleasure? But it does take a bit of work. And here's my final application for you today. Learn to stop and enjoy what you have just done before racing on to the next thing. Isn't that what we learn in Genesis? That's what God does. He stops, he looks, he admires, he blesses, he enjoys. Sabbath is a declaration of satisfaction. Practicing the Sabbath means reminding us of that because of the gospel, there is no work that needs to be finished in the spiritual realm. It's all been done. Our high priest sat down. But at the physical everyday level, practicing Sabbath means providing opportunities in our lives to look back, see the things that we've accomplished and be grateful for them. So when you finish a project or a book or a meaningful email, or preparing a dinner and eating it, or going for a run, or planning a holiday, or a project in your garden, or buying some clothes for your children, or organizing the room that you live in, or you've just finished the day at 5.30, and it was a fairly maybe uneventful day. Stop and give thanks, and think about the things that you can reflect on and say, I'm glad for those things, and enjoy it. Give thanks. For us, family meal times are a key moment as we give thanks to God for our food, but also the day. The purpose of the Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to engage in more production, nor is it purely the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of the Sabbath is to enjoy your God, enjoy his creation and reflect on what he has enabled you to accomplish in this world and revel in the freedom that you have in Jesus. Though I am a long way from fully applying all these lessons and all these tensions and regularly fail to eliminate hurry from my heart and my life, I have come to see that if you develop the foundation and practice of Sabbath, you will not only be more disciplined about taking time off, but also less frantic and driven in the rest of your work. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that right at the beginning of the creation, 
there was a declaration that the work was finished and the work was good and we received all your hard work as a gift to enjoy. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we strive to find rest in other things than you and your work and we strive to to do that in our own effort and it just becomes exhausting thank you that in jesus once again you came into the world to work and again your work was good your work was perfect nothing more needed to be done it was finished and you sat down and the work of self-justification and proving ourselves and striving to make ourselves um feel valuable lord you you showed once for all we are valuable to you and that we're forgiven and made right and we're adopted and so teach us lord what it is to apply the gospel of grace to our lives that we might rid ourselves of the hurry in our hearts and then learn to from that position of rest in our heart to rest in our lives to work from a position of rest to enjoy our rest to enjoy you in our rest to enjoy your creation in our rest to enjoy one another to enjoy the things you've enabled us to do and thank you one day lord jesus you will come take us home and all the restlessness of this world will be over and we will rest fully and finally in your arms we thank you that that day is coming for us all